And so I'm assuming once they get back, you guys are going to get your two-day vacation. Amen? Amen. I know everybody's asking for that. Uh, Today is a great day, uh, but today is also uh, an anniversary of probably one of the most, uh, at least in our lifetime, uh, one of the most horrific things we've seen happen on this soil. Uh, And that is uh, September 11th. Uh, That is when we saw something that we never thought we would see in the U.S., Many things like this, bombings and things of this nature happen throughout our world. But the U.S., it was just, this wasn't something that happened here. I remember where I was that morning. I woke up late because I worked nights at UPS. And I remember going to the TV and every channel I clicked to, I was like, why is this, what's going on? And it literally looked like something from a movie. It seemed unreal. Uh, But it's something we'll never forget. Uh, It changed our country forever. It also reminded, I think, people that we need something greater than ourselves. Uh, It reminded us that we need a savior. We need a God. We need someone who can comfort us in the midst of a great affliction such as this. So I'd just like us to take a second just to pray uh, for those. I'm not sure if you were impacted directly, indirectly through this. Uh, Maybe you had somebody who was in the building. Maybe you had a relative nearby. Maybe... Uh, You have relatives who are in the military who, because of this action, ended up finding themselves in war after that. I just want us to pray and acknowledge this at this moment. Father, we thank you for today. And as we think about the tragedy and horrific attack on September 11th, uh, we ask that you would still comfort our hearts. Many of us still mourn. Many of us still grieve. And we have forever changed how our world is. I pray, Lord God, though, that you would then turn the hearts towards you just as you began to do within hours after the event took place. Uh, We have gone so far past that 15 years, and we've gone back to the same lifestyles, the same unholy living, walking in ways that are not you, and then still from a governmental standpoint, not acknowledging you as king and lord of this earth. So I pray that you would humble our hearts. Pray for those servicemen and women who give their lives daily, whether it be on the ground in Afghanistan or whether it be in the city of Chicago through police work, Lord God. Those firemen and police officers and military who serve us daily. Pray, Lord God, that you would touch their families as they experience hurt and pain in ways that we cannot even imagine. But most of all, Lord, I pray that your name still be glorified because you were Christ then and King then and you're Christ now and King now. And you rule everything, and you are sovereign. So, Lord God, we trust you in your sovereignty even when we don't fully understand what happens, knowing that you are faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray and say amen. You know, uh, when I was last here, I shared with you guys uh, some news of what had happened to me and my wife. Uh, It was August 6, 2015. On July 27, 2015, I just started my pastoral residency at Holy Trinity Church. We were excited, and so they called us up before the congregation. We introduced ourselves, and one of the things we looked forward to introducing was like, hey, we're pregnant. And uh, just a few days after that, August 26, me and my wife experienced a miscarriage, and we lost our our angel. Um, And I remember sharing that with you, and uh, many of you prayed with me afterwards, uh, showed compassion and love in ways that I could have never imagined. You know, we were strangers as far as knowing each other, but not strangers because we are family and faith. And you guys showed that and extended that to me. And so I wanted to say thank you. Uh, I didn't get a chance to formally thank you that day, but I want to thank you so, so much for your love and compassion towards me 
uh, it's a sign of your ministry and it's a sign of your hearts of the, toward the Lord that you will love me in that way. Uh, but I also want to give some exciting news. Uh, November 2nd of 2016, uh, Samuel Alston Petaway should be arriving into the world. Uh, so um, I cannot remember the gentleman who it was who prayed for me, but I remember him praying for me after service. And he was saying, sharing how his daughter had, had a couple miscarriages and he just encouraged me not to lose faith. And he was like, God would do something. And just no matter how hard it gets, just continue to trust the Lord. And we did. And so I'm excited as we prepare to welcome this young man into the world. So uh, if that, that should encourage you to know that God is good. He's faithful and he can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Amen? Amen. Uh, I know some of you guys were wondering, are we going to get a break from Mark? Who thought it? I know, you don't have to admit it. I know, I know. Uh, somebody was like, dang, you preaching Mark again? Well, no. Uh, no, I, yes, I'm continuing in this series. And uh, I'll say this. I'm with you sometimes because I, I just went to a church, the church I'm at now, and we had never done series before in ministries I've been at. So we were in, we were in 1 Samuel for almost eight months. So trust me, I, I know what it's like. Uh, but I, I hope that doesn't bring you down. Uh, because today's word is still going to encourage you, it's still going to bless you, it's still rich, uh, and it's still something that should not be taken for granted. I know we hear gospel stories all the time, and we sometimes, oh, I know that story. Uh, but it's not until you take time to really just sit with it and kind of go through it section by section that you recognize certain nuances that you may not have noticed before. And so we're going to continue in that today, and I'm excited about it. Now, how many of you guys remember as kids, when you were growing up, you had those situations where it was time to play some sporting activity. And this happened for whether it was guys or girls. I'm talking about like back in kindergarten, preschool, first grade. Whether it was kickball, dodgeball, you wanted to be picked up. But we always knew there were those of us who were just, nobody was really excited about getting. Nobody was like, yo, get him, get her. Uh, we had to wait. And we sat there, sad, and man, don't let me be the last one. Come on. I know I don't really have good hands, but at least they can hit me with the ball instead of you. Um, and it was kind of like this unspoken rule. You knew the people who were going to get picked. They were on the team. You knew they were on the team. You're like, oh, they're good. I already know they're going to get picked. Uh, but when you got picked, there was something you could not do. When you finally got picked, even if it was the last person, something you could not do was you could not be super excited. Like, you couldn't be like, yeah, you know. Like you just won the volleyball game or something. Like you could not do that. Why? Because you had to kind of play it cool. You know, you didn't want them to know how excited you were and how, how great it felt. But one thing you did do is after the game was over, it was afterwards, you would go home. These are the times where you go home and tell mom she picked you up from school or tell dad, guess what, guess what, they picked me in. And we won and we played and this, that, and the other. Because uh, you, you recognize the beauty of being picked and being made a part of a team. And so today we're going to look at a story, a story that many of us have heard before, and the uniqueness of this story is that uh, this was a man in a body of people who, for many religious leaders and Jewish followers, considered not worthy enough to be on the team. They were Gentiles. They weren't worthy to be a part of the team. They weren't God's chosen people. They were not connected through the blessing of Abraham and the promise of Abraham. At least that's what they thought. But what we find here is a man who was just like us when we were kids, who is so overjoyed with being picked. 
so overjoyed with how being picked then impacts his life that he can't help but spread the word. And today I'd like to tag the text this idea that when it's too good to keep to yourself, that's what we're going to understand is when, when it's just so good that it's impossible for you to keep it to ourselves. And today we're going to notice three things that are going to impact us and show us something about Jesus. One is intimacy with Jesus, the power of Jesus, and lastly, the proclamation of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today and thank you for the men who are at the Rise Retreat. We pray, Lord God, that you will continue to bless them as they are preparing for their final session today. Nurture their hearts. Better them as men, as fathers, husbands, brothers, servants, leaders. Allow them to grow in compassion and nurturing. Allow them to grow in diligence and faithfulness to your word so that when they come home, they're able to pour into the body more. They're able to love their wives in ways they may not have before. They may be able to care for their sisters in the faith like they've never done before. And that this body, as it prepares to celebrate three years, would see continued transformation and growth. We thank you for the women who have served faithfully and who have been stretched even this time to see that they can still do things without the men here, but also recognizing the beauty of the blessing of God placing men in their lives to lead. Pray, Lord God, that you will continue to heal our hearts, work through us as we prepare for this message. Help us to be healed of whatever hurts and pains we may be experiencing. And allow us to realize the true joy of who you are and having you in our lives. And may that push us towards proclamation of your gospel to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, last week, uh, Pastor Eric preached through chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It was, again, your series in the book of Mark, and the text was tagged, a, a true heart check. And in this, we learned a lot last week in regards to this true heart check as he talked through what was going on. And one of the things I like that he addressed was this idea on the front end is that, listen, being a hypocrite isn't a person who fails. I mean, when I listened to the sermon, it really blessed me. I was like, because you've you got to differentiate between the two. You know, a lot of times we, we think of the Pharisees and we see, oh, they're hypocrites. And what, what do we hear from those who are not believers? Churches full of hypocrites. Because there's been some confusion about what that really means. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something they're not. And who tries to put on something saying that they're something they're not. And they're trying to deceive you and make you believe higher of themselves than they really are. Now, we do see those in church. Uh, but there are also those of us who walk with Jesus who fall. And although we proclaim truth, we proclaim things like we should remain abstinence, that we shouldn't cuss, that we shouldn't steal, but there are those of us who have fallen victim to those very same things. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you someone who is walking with Jesus who is not perfect, who is still in the process of being sanctified. And that is a process that continues on forever. But then he also highlighted the fact that You've got to recognize what really holds authority in your life. Is it God's word or is it your opinion? Is it your tradition? The Pharisees at that time had developed traditions that had begun to take precedence over God's word. And so Jesus' complaint to them is like, listen, I understand that you are holding to this tradition, but it should not trump 
my word because God's word is the final authority. God's word is the power. So what is the final authority in your life? Hopefully last week you walked away saying that, you know what? The final authority in my life is going to be God's word. It's going to be his leading, his teaching. Because that is what gets us through. That is what allows us to persevere. That is what allows us to make it. But then as we look at the book overall, we recognize that the book of Mark is this overarching theme of Jesus' call to universal discipleship. Mark is trying to highlight not only is it Jesus is God in the flesh, but he's highlighting that, listen, there's this universal discipleship, which is significant to our text today because it's this idea that many believe the promises of Abraham, the promises of the coming Messiah, were strictly for those descendants of Israel, the Jews. But this universal discipleship says, no, listen, the great many seed that was spoken of in Genesis to Abraham included the Gentiles, included those who will be engrafted into the family of faith. And so now we're beginning another section where Jesus has come back to an area where he's been before. And what's interesting about this is, is that there's a cycle. This is actually a cycle you'll see throughout some of Mark, in particular in 6 through 8. But if you look at it, what happens is there's a cycle where Jesus feeds the multitude. He has an encounter with the Pharisees and their unbelief, and then Jesus performed miracles. And as you guys read earlier last week in 7, that's exactly what happened before. If you look at actually the traditions in 6, beginning in 630, Jesus feeds the 5,000s. When you jump in, to chapter 7, 1 through 23, we see the the issue with the Pharisees and their unbelief basically saying, listen, how can they do this, eat with unclean hands? And so they're arguing with Jesus, uh, basically saying, how can you do this? If you were really the Messiah, this would not be how you would handle things because these are traditions. And then we find ourselves in today's text again where he performs another miracle. And again, this isn't his first time in the area, so I'm going to do a little memory check for you. How many of you guys remember the story you guys went through with Jesus and the demoniac man who was basically crazy? Remember that? And what happens there? In that story, we see that Jesus comes to this man, and he is filled with demons. And what does he do? Jesus, in his divine power, casts the demons into the pigs. The pigs go jumping into the water, drowning themselves, and then word gets back to the town. Now, it's very interesting of how this went down because you would think now that he had made why would, actually, why would he come back to this area? Because if we remember how they responded to him, it would make you say, well, why would you come back to this area with these people with after how they treated you? And for a refresh, I'm going to read to you what it said in 5.15. This is how they responded after this man had been healed. It said, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg, not ask, but they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As they were getting ready to go, then the man said, can I travel with you, Jesus? Now listen, they begged him to go after this man had been healed. And now he's come back. But what's interesting is how the man responded to it, the man who was healed, which will tie into today's text as well. The man who was healed said, basically, Jesus, can I roll with you? I'm ready to go. Can I go with you? Can I run with you? Can I hang with you? Can I travel because of what you've done in my life? And what does Jesus say to him? He says, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So the very area that this man goes to after being healed by Jesus is the very place we find ourselves today in today's text. So word is spread, and I'm going to read for you what it says in today's text, 31 through 37 of Mark, where it says this. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon and the Sea of Galilee to the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, put his fingers into his ear. And then, after spitting on his fingers, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Apothla, that is, be open. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them. To tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Man, this is the beauty of God. This is the beauty of Jesus in his ministry. The same people who begged him to leave, the same people who begged him to go away now, because of the proclamation of you have to assume the testimony of the demoniac man has now caused them to beg Jesus to move mightily and to work in the heart of the deaf man, work in his body and move in him. Again, today we said we're going to talk about three things, the intimacy of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the proclamation of Jesus. And right now we see this intimacy and this interaction. And I say intimacy because of how Jesus engages this situation. He pulls the man to the side. He doesn't do it publicly, but he pulls him to the side. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys, well, there's several parents in here because I saw all those kids flocking to downstairs. So you guys are being fruitful and multiplying. <laughs> uh, but one thing with my son that I have the beauty of is in the morning sometimes, or even in the afternoon, when he's eating, he's in his high chair. And sometimes I'll just come up next to him. And I'll rub his head and just, he will sink into my body. And it's so funny because he sighs like he's worked hard today. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, ah. It's like, come on, kid, you've done nothing but play. But there's, there's this connectivity there. There's, there's this intimacy that's held between me and my son in that interaction. Now, a lot of us, when we hear the word intimacy, I want to clarify some things. We always associate it with sexuality. That it has to be something sexual. It has to be something pleasurable or, uh, or something with male-female thing. But intimacy is much greater than that. And intimacy, especially in Scripture, what God is calling us to in our relationship with him, is much deeper than that. Some of you guys have had girlfriends who you have had to talk to after a hard breakup. And sometimes it's just your girlfriend being there and letting you cry on her shoulder. Maybe for some of you, it's been a sporting event after you lose the game for the championship or to proceed to the playoffs, and you're like, this is the end of our season because of that. It's the comfort of that touch of somebody saying, it's okay. It's going to be all right. We got next year. We'll do better. Some of you have experienced this comfort and intimacy, whether it be at a funeral, and you've lost a loved one, and someone has come up and just held your hand, not said a word. And something about that touch, something about that feeling just allowed you to feel cared for, allows you to feel special, allows you to feel like out of all that's going on in this world, this person at this time is focused on you and you alone in your pain. And this is what Jesus does. 
This is the type of comfort that Jesus brings to the deaf man. Now, you may be saying, well, how do we know this is the type of comfort that he brings? Like, Scripture does not allude saying that he specifically didn't need the type of special touching and hugging of him in any way. Well, I would argue and say that let's look at the character of Jesus throughout Scripture. We see his character, his compassion. We see how when the children were trying to come towards Jesus and the disciples tried to keep him away, he said, no, let them come. You see how he interacted with the woman at the well when he wasn't supposed to be dealing with a woman like that. You see this compassion of Jesus throughout Scripture. But also, let's look at who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a man who can't hear. And for what we know, either can't talk or can't talk clearly. How else is Jesus age with him? Speaking words to him has no impact. Saying something to him because he can't hear it. So I think it's fair to say that there had to have been something pulling this meth man to the side is a sign of him showing compassion. His heightened senses, one of those is going to be smelled, but significantly touch. That aspect of being held or felt. And Jesus touches him. And he touches him and shows him compassion. Now we've got to remember who this is. This is Jesus. Jesus, who considered it not wrong to humble himself and come down to earth take on the form of a man, and walk amongst his children. This is the king, the royal Messiah, who although he did not come how they expected, does not change him from being the Messiah. This is how he interacts with this man, who's probably been rejected by most of society, who's been kept astray, who has has not been treated well, but his friends and family bring him to Jesus, asking Jesus to heal him. And Jesus touches him. I want you to think about the significance of that. You may be saying, why? How many of you guys think that in a hard time that you would go through that you could just call up the president and go up to the White House and that he would come out, speak to you, and comfort you in your time of hardship? Anybody believe that would happen? How many of you actually believe you could go to Mayor Rahm Emanuel's office? Not that you would want to, but did you go to Mayor Rahm Emanuel's office and that he would comfort you in your hardship because you're overwhelmed by the tickets you have to pay in Chicago? Maybe you think about your favorite celebrity artist or movie uh, actor or actress. There's this exclusivity with them. You can't touch them. Why? Because of their power and prestige. And this is the Messiah, though. The one who's been there since the beginning in the creation of earth. Who has no beginning, has no end. He's always been and always will be. He has come and has comforted and touched the heart of this man and touched him physically. By him pulling him aside, it establishes this element of contact and connectivity and relationship between him and the sick. And what he's trying to communicate is like, you are important to me, my child. Yes, Jesus, king of the Jews, Jesus, king of this world, Jesus who would go speak to the Jews but was rejected by the Jews, still was communicating with this Gentile, saying that I love you. And I love you so much that I want to connect with you. But he also pulls him to the side because he does not want to make a spectacle of the situation. Again, Jesus' purpose in the miracles, we have to remember, is not so much for the people. Jesus does not heal in the Gospels ultimately so that the people are healed. Jesus heals to prove who he is. And the beauty of him proving who he is is that they are blessed 
and able to be healed. And so what he does is he pulls this man to the side and he interacts with him, showing his compassion and intimacy. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't let it just stop with this intimacy and this compassion. But he then takes it a step further and shows his power. So again, we love the fact that Christ interacts with us. We love the joy that we get to experience through his compassion and him touching us and being next to us. But his compassion doesn't stop there because he has to show you his power. And how does he show the man his power? We see it as we move forward in the text. It says, after he has pulled this man to the side, he puts his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touches his tongue, and then looks up to the heavens and sighed and said to him, Apothecary, that is, be opened. And the ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. This is the power of Jesus. This is the power that he has. Now, when we look at that, we say, okay, yeah, he, he healed him. He touched him. That's cool. But I think we need to think about what happens. Like, you've got to understand on a, on, a very, on a scientific level what's actually taking place. So let's look at this. I did some research, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about hearing. This is how sound travels. It travels through the air. And in the airways, which when it picked up, results in a series of vibrations within your ear. First, the sound waves enter the outer ear and pass into the ear canal, where the waves cause eardrums to vibrate. Next, those vibrations are transmitted to those bones of the middle of the ear, causing them to also vibrate. Finally, those vibrations pass through to the innermost part of the ear, which is the cochlea. Within the cochlea, there are tiny hair cells surrounded by fluid. When the fluid reacts to the vibrations transmitted from the middle ear, the tiny cells send signals to the auditory nerve, which in turn transmits information to the brain. The brain then interprets those signals into meaningful sounds such as speech. Now, when we hear that, we're like, well, no, I'll just hear. You know, I wake up, I hear. You know, when there's a loud noise, I hear. But this is what is happening in here. That is what is taking place. And this man's system had been shut down. There's no vibration. There's no transition. The fluid's off. The hairs aren't responding. It's not responding then to the nervous system and giving what it needs so that he can hear. He can hear nothing. And if that was all, you say, okay, that's amazing. But let's take it a step further. Let's think of speech. Speech, the power source. It's your voice. It comes from air that you exhale. When we inhale, the diaphragm lowers and the rib cage expands, drawing air into the lungs. As we exhale, the process reverses and the air exits the lungs, creating an air stream through the trachea. Then we have the vibrator, which is the lorix. This is your voice box. It sits on top of your windpipes. It contains two vocal cords, also known as, like, you know, vocal cords, <laughs> They open during breathing and close during swallowing and produce voice. The vibrating happens here, and you're going to be amazed at how many times per second you're actually vibrating it. It vibrates in between 100 and 1,000 times per second, depending on the pitch that you are trying to make. And then you have the resonator. That by themselves, the vocal cords produce noise that sounds like simple buzzing, much like a mouthpiece on a trumpet. All of the structure above folds 
including the throat, nose, mouth, and are all part of the resonator system that now takes these sounds and makes them into words and makes them sound into voice. This is what this man is dealing with. All of this is not functioning within his body. All of this is not functioning within his body. He can do nothing. But if Jesus can only be compassionate towards him, does it really show that all power is in his hand? Does it really show the authority in which he has, that what he says is true, and when he says it, it happens? And so what we see here is, we see Jesus take this man's situation that seems impossible, and with a touch in the voice of his mouth, this man is healed. This is what's taking place. This is why everyone is in awe of what Jesus has just done. That is what has happened, and that is who our Savior is. That is what he's capable of doing, and that is the power of him. Now, they had priests of that time. They had doctors of that time, physicians. No one could heal this. No one could change this. No one could. This is what separated Jesus. Again, he is the king, the Messiah, the Lord, the God, the God-man. And he's showing his power right now. He's showing his compassion, his love, and now he's showing his power by healing him. But this is also confirmation, believe it or not, of a word spoken by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 7, or should I say Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. This was God, Jesus, confirming what Isaiah spoke of the Messiah who would come and do these great things. And this is who Jesus is. He has set this man's body straight and healed him. But the healing was not just a healing of the physical, but it was also a healing of his heart because he recognized who he was because of this work. So what happens then? You've got this intimacy that you experience with Jesus through his encounter. You've got the power of Jesus being shown to him to be able to even change his physical life. So what will come next? Well, I'm going to tell you it's very much similar to what came next after the demoniac man was healed. It's the proclamation of the power of Jesus to the rest of the world. This is what happens. Now, I've always wrestled with this. You see throughout the Gospels, Jesus has these encounters where he healed, and he basically says, keep your mouth shut. But then the people always say something. Now, I'm going to be honest. I would sit up here as a a graduate of Moody and say I completely understand, but I don't always get it because I'm like, that's direct disobedience. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is really direct disobedience. But for some reason, it happens continually. And there's nothing, you don't seem to see anything in Scripture that seems to him, Jesus rebuking them for it. But what does happen after each time is, is that the word is proclaimed and people hear the gospel. The story travels. The power of Jesus and the stories of his power begin to travel throughout the land. And this is exactly what happens here. Jesus commands him to tell no one. And the beautiful thing is you also see a unique similarity between the Jews and the Gentiles in this. Because the Jews, although they consider themselves different on many points of law, purity, and ethnic uh, rules and regulations... 
uh, and really saw themselves as the chosen people of God only, and somehow the Gentiles were not included in the family of faith, they still, despite this, they still had the same response because the Jews who were told not to say anything still said something, and the Gentiles who were told not to say anything still say something. So although they acted as if they were different in many ways, they were still the same. And the one common thing is, is that they all needed Jesus. They all needed Jesus, and they all proclaimed his goodness once they touched his life or touched their lives. So as they are here, it says that they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all these things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They're in awe. Imagine, I want you to think about that. Imagine if somebody was up here who could not hear and could not speak, and then all of a sudden we prayed for them and they did it. That is the astonishment they have this morning because they are seeing the glory of God manifested in their real life realm. They're seeing Jesus in his hand move on his heart. And now many of us have experienced this ourselves. We know what it's like to have Jesus move on our hearts, and we all know that when Jesus moves on your heart, Man, you can't keep it to yourself. And so this is what the man does. He begins to proclaim. He begins to say, he's got to go tell everybody because he's like, listen, this is what has happened to me. This is what has happened when Jesus touched me. This is what happened when he pulled me to the side. Now, I hate, uh, Holy Spirit, am I allowed to say this? Okay. I'm going to give an analogy. My wife said I shouldn't do this often. So, okay, I just need y'all to try and rock with me. All right, all right. How many of you all have ever smoked? Okay, don't, don't need to confess. I'm sorry, I, I, I forgot. <laughs> Putting y'all on blast, I apologize. I'm not going to put everybody out there. Cause I know some people are like, I'm not raising my hand for that. <laughs> so, the, the one thing about analogies that are bad is they never fully communicate the, the depth and weight of, of the scriptures. But, just rock with me on this one. When I was in college, I was, I was a marijuana smoker. Uh, and one thing that was interesting is that when you smoke, there was this community I didn't quite understand until I was in it. It's like you guys share everything. I mean, everything. You could be walking down the street, see somebody you don't really know that's smoking, and be like, hey, yo, can I get a hit? They'd be like, yeah, here you go, and pass you the blunt. I mean, that's the type of stuff that would happen in that community. And, and, but the one thing that was also consistent was this idea that when something, when you got a good bag of wheat, I know, I know, as I say, this is kind of rough, but like, when you got a good bag of weed, what happened to you was this. You were so in love with it that you were like, yo, I've got to tell everybody about this. <laughs> you did. You would go tell your friends, you would tell your homie, you would tell, hey, yo, man, there's this dude down the block, he's got this. And like, you, would, you would share how great it was because you were like, I cannot keep this experience to myself, and it's so good that I've got to share it with you. Now, this is the thing. There are tons of us who have had experiences with Jesus like the man in this scripture. We've had situations that seemed impossible in our lives, and Jesus moved and healed us and and changed everything. But we don't say nothing. Now, the reason why I use that analogy is because, like, listen, if I could be in the world, wilder. And I'm running around telling people about, hey, yo, you got to get up on this. And at times, even offering, you can try some of mine. But when we're in the church, 
and have experienced the hand of God in our lives and stay quiet, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that here. So as we look at today's text, we have to see this is how we're supposed to respond. Now, if you want to rest, like, okay, but Jesus said don't say nothing, and they said something. Okay. But what has God called us to do now? The Great Commission. He's called us to go out and make disciples. He's told us to proclaim his truth, to proclaim and share his word. So if you wanted to use that, well, Jesus said he shouldn't say nothing, so I'm not saying nothing about That doesn't count for you. That doesn't apply. Because he's given specific directions now moving forward of how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to do. And he says, listen, if I've moved in your heart, if I've changed your life, and you have experienced my glory, then you need to proclaim this to the rest of the world. So that they may be, may, may, may be made my disciples. So that their hearts can be healed. So they can walk with me. So they can know me and know saving faith. That is what we're called to do as believers. So what do we do today? What do we do with this idea of seeing God, the Messiah, come down, humble himself, pull this man to the side, heal him, and then see the power of God in it? Well, from a practical level, I think there are a few things we need to recognize. Because we can look at this in high and lofty and deep, but there's some practical application I want you to understand. And one of those things is, is that Jesus loves you and desires to be intimate with you. He wants to touch you. When you're depressed and sad and you feel as if nobody's there, he's there to comfort you. There's no sin too great that would ever make him say, I've got to stay away from my child. So I'm not sure what you're wrestling with in here. I'm not sure what you faced in life. I'm not sure what hardship you're going through, but the one thing I don't want you to do is isolate yourself. If you've sinned, repent. It's okay. This is the thing. If you don't tell him, he knows anyway. (laughs) He saw you do it. And he knew it before it was going to happen. To my young men and young women who are teenagers and who may be saying, well, you know, I can't really share certain things with my parents. Listen, listen. First of all, you can share with your parents. It's always better to tell them to keep it in the dark. But also remember that you have a God and a Savior who loves you, who wants to be intimate with you too. There's not an age limit to when God wants to be intimate with you. You don't have to wait until you're 45 or wait until you're 21. He wants you as a child. But not only does he want to be intimate with you, but he wants to heal you. Now, healing looks different in different ways. I'd say the primary way he wants to heal you is through, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, right now, you are like many of us, separate from God. So I don't stand here as a person standing in a posture of, I'm better than you. I stand here saying, I was you. I was disconnected from Jesus. I was separated from him, and if I would have lost my life in that time, being separate from him, I would have been separate from him forever. He can heal you in that he can deal with that divide that is between you and God the Father. Sin has separated you from God the Father. And the only way you can be brought back into relationship is for someone to pay the price for your sins, which is what Jesus Christ has done. So for those of you who are here who don't know Jesus, 
I beg of you to know, not only does he love you and want to be intimately connected with you, but he wants you to be saved. And he wants you to be healed spiritually. Now, there are also those of you who may be going through some physical ailments. And I say this in two ways. One, I'm not guaranteeing you that Jesus is going to heal you. Because I'm not sure what he's using your sickness or illness to do in your life. But two, I'm also not saying that Jesus won't heal you. Because he's capable of taking your body on the molecular level and reconstructing, killing cancer cells, making deformed limbs straight. I mean, he can do that all. So I tell you to pray, asking for his strength and his power to move on your life in that way. And then if he does not, rest in him knowing that there's got to be something bigger that he is trying to teach you through it. There's a famous uh, teacher, many of you guys probably have heard of, Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, I, th- I think I get the word right. It's paraplegic because she's from the neck down, no movement. And one of the things, it was amazing. I was listening to a sermon by Tony Evans. He was saying when he talked to her that one of the things she said is her accident was tragic. She was young, dove into some water, and basically that was it. Hit head first on a stone. And so she's been like that since a teenager. Uh, she has since been married and has, has a fantastic ministry. But she's yet to be healed. So she's still injured, still a paraplegic. But one thing she has said is that if she could go back, she would still do it all over again. I know, right? And the reason why she said she would still do it all over, all over again is because she's seen the impact of her life and her story on others. And that's what often happens. When Jesus moves in your life, you are wanting to tell them so they can see what he can also do in their lives. And I know you're saying, well, that doesn't seem right. But no, God is still God even when the healing doesn't take place. He's still sovereign. He's still great. He's still good. And so now that we know this, what are we left to do? We're left here with only one thing to do, and that's proclaim this truth to the world. So what I'm telling you is, go tell your friends. Go tell your loved ones. Tell your coworker. Tell those people how God is moving in your life. Now, I will say this. Don't be the annoying Christian. So don't run up, hey, listen, I got to tell you something because you need Jesus in your life. He did this for me. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a genuineness in which you can say, share things with people and communicate to them so that they, they are able to receive and hear the beauty of what God has done. Jesus did not save my child angel. As much as I begged him to save that, that, that seed of mine. But you know what? God is still God. And he's still good. And what has happened is, through that experience, I am able to love on people and encourage people in ways that I could not before. And you know why? Simply because I had never experienced pain like that in my life before. So no matter where you are in this season of life, I want to encourage you to know that God loves you. He wants to be intimately connected with you. His power is beyond all measure, that it can change every area of your life, and that you got to go tell it. You know, there's an old kid, I'll go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Some of us need to be kids again. Some of us need to take the songs of our childhood and remember that he has the whole world in his hands. We need childlike faith again. 
Let us be overjoyed by the power of God in our lives. And then share that love, that compassion, and intimacy, and beauty of God's power with the rest of the world. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your faithfulness. Man, Lord, I think about where I was, where I have been, and how you have kept me. There are those of us who have been healed in spite of our sexual promiscuity. There are those of us who have been healed in spite of our drug use. Those of us who have been gangbangers. Those of us who have cheated on our spouse. There are those of us who have committed all kinds of sin. And yet, Lord, when we came to know you as Lord and Savior, you healed us. You healed our hearts. You healed us spiritually and brought us back into relationship with a God that we were so far from and never thought would accept us. I pray for those who are before us today who may be struggling with issues of pornography. Those who may have had an abortion or who may be struggling with drug addiction. Those who are struggling with their tongue and being very angry or liars or thieves. Pray, Lord God, that you would touch their hearts. Pray that you would move in them and allow them to experience intimacy with you in a new way. And not only intimacy, but then experience your power, your power to change, your power to destroy yokes, your power to heal. And when that healing takes place, Lord, allow them to proclaim boldly with joy of your great salvation. For the person who's struggling with recognizing you as God and is just struggling with understanding your word and believing you for who you really are, I pray that you would touch them. Allow them to see your majesty. They wake up with breath in their lungs. We wake up with our eyes being able to flicker. We wake up being able to hear and move. And all of it is a sign of your power and your strength and your glory in these fragile yet precious bodies that you have created. Lord, let us proclaim boldly to the rest of this world that you are king, you are Lord, you are God, and you are worthy to be praised. We will not leave here the same, but are changed forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless the Lord.